0: Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at hyundaiusa.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch, JT. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris.
0: What's up, and welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Monday, May 22nd. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're going to recap all of this weekend's action. Big waiver wire ads. Luis Severino made his return starter sick questions, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. Let's jump in. Holy cow! How about that? How about it, Scotty? What's going on, man? Uh, oh my goodness gracious, for the weekend. Okay,
2: let's go with Christopher Morel. Christopher Morell. Hit a home run Sunday. You know, at this point, I can't even really say, oh my goodness gracious about it, because he's hit a home run in eight of the 11 games he's played since getting called up from the minors. It's been as regular as anything can be. And of course, it won't last. I mean, he's not not going to set a record, a single season record for home runs or anything. Can't continue to home run at, homer at this pace, but he's hit he's hit safely in all eleven games. He's homered in eight of them. He continues to get playing time. He continues to strike out at a ridiculous rate, actually higher than last year. When remember he got off to a great start as well, and then eventually cooled off. So I'm I'm a little torn on this. Uh, He's been slow to be picked up in fantasy. It's it's he, at, at this point he's, I think, eighty five percent rostered. So he's beyond the threshold where we normally talk about, oh, do you add him or not? We're beyond that with Christopher Morel. But it took him a while to get there. People were kind of slow to buy in, and so I, I wonder how realistic it is to to even have the sell high conversation here, because we've 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 experienced Morel in the past and because people were kind of slow to buy into what he's doing now i'm kind of inclined to just say don't even bother just enjoy it for however long it lasts which the 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 quality of contact he's making now maybe he can survive a 35% strikeout rate and and be a uh, regular contributor for you at the rest the rest of the season at either second base or the outfield i do think that's more probable in a rotisserie league where there's a lot more spots to fill, where the strikeouts don't directly impact you the way they do in a points league, I, I do think that's I do think that's one possibility. Is it the most likely possibility? Probably not, but it's likely enough that I do think there's a case for just sit back and enjoy the ride with morale. Keep your expectations grounded, of course, but um, it, it probably isn't worth your time to pursue a sell high trade. Having said that. If if you're managing one fantasy team, you got nothing but time. <laughs> it's not a bad idea to make some offers. Like in any time, there's a player who's performing beyond what is reasonable to expect. It's not a bad idea to make some sell so high offers. I, I mean, a great example of a similar situation: Austin Riley, his rookie season, he came up and homered. Let me see if I can get the exact number. It was like nine times in his first 18 games or something. It's so similar to this. Uh, Yeah, nine times in his first 18 games. This is 2019. And uh, I wrote an article talking about selling high on him then. There was a lot of like, ah, how could you say this? This is an amazing prospect, but best any of us have ever seen. And then from that point forward, after those 18 games where he homered nine times, Austin Riley hit 192 with nine home runs the rest of the season. So it would have been a great time to sell high. Uh, if you can pull it off. And and of course the the whole idea behind selling high is you got to get back a lot more than what you invested in Morel in the first place to make it worthwhile. So if you got time, not a bad idea. If you don't have time, you know, it's it's probably not going to work out that you're going to get that great of a return for him given how long it took people to buy in in the first place.
0: Scott, I wrote down six names here, two at second base, two at outfield, and two starting pitchers. And you let me know if we're like in the right ballpark, if that's a player that we should be trying to sell Christopher Morrell for. At second base, I have Tommy Edmond and Miguel Vargas. What do you think about those two as potential targets for Christopher Morel?
2: I think I would prefer Edmund to Morel. Uh, I think you could start aiming higher than that because Edmund's not performing up to expectations. So that's almost like a combo by low on Edmund, so high on Morrell. And let me double check just to make sure Edmund isn't losing too much playing time because Paul DeYoung's been getting the majority of playing time to shortstop. I, I imagine we'll talk about him later.
0: Paul DeYoung crushing it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that. Edmund, it seems like he's mostly been playing every day. He sat out on Friday, but I've, I think he was dealing with an injury Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's up to six homers yeah. and six steals and, and 273. So all of a sudden, Edmund's numbers kind of look like Tommy Edmund, So
2: if, if you're forcing me to pick one of Edmund and Morel rest of season, I will pick Edmund. But I am going to take Morel over Miguel Vargas, even in a points league where Morel is disadvantaged and Vargas is advantaged.
0: Okay, fair enough. A few outfielders. Again, these are potential buy low and selling high on Morel. Teoscar Hernandez and Starling Marte.
2: Yeah, I really hate the way they've both been performing so hard so far. If it's a deep league, I'll I'll take Marte or Teoscar Hernandez. I just think they're they higher probability plays. Talking rest of season. If it's a shallow league and you can afford to swing for the fences, so to speak, and you want to, if you, and you want to gamble on that lower probability outcome of a true Christopher Morel breakthrough, I I think that's fine in a shallower league.
0: Okay. And then a few starting pitchers I wrote down who are both, you know, borderline top 40, top 45 starters, Hunter Green and Jesus Lozardo. Uh,
2: well, I mean, it just depends how much you need pitching. I think I think given that there's a shortage of pitching around the league, you're probably not going to get much better pitching than that for Morel, and, and so I think it's fine if, if you just want to cash in on some pitching, some high upside pitching there and both who've underachieved so far. Again, it doesn't hurt to aim higher to start out and yeah. then you know if those if those offers get rejection rejected then maybe you eventually settle on like a greener Lazardo and return but i think that's fine if, if pitching is a greater need for you
0: oh my goodness gracious for me from this weekend michael kopek had his best start of the season by far up against the kansas city royals eight shutout innings only one hit allowed zero walks to 10 strikeouts 20 swinging strikes on 98 pitches with 15 of those coming on the fastball. And Scott, when I was looking this over, I had your quote ringing through my head "Is if you can get whiffs on the fastball, you must have pretty good upside. 15 whiffs on 20 pitch, uh, on 20 of those swinging strikes, specifically on the fastball. It was very impressive for Kopech. Only allowed one hard hit in this game. Uh, the velocity was up on the fastball, nearly one mile per hour. The slider was up a mile and a half. Uh, We know he had off-season knee surgery this year, so maybe he just needed some time to get going. The control has been a huge problem. Three-plus walks and six of nine starts for Kopech. But clearly, that wasn't an issue here. Zero walks, only the one hit. All those whiffs. 44% rostered. And at the Guardians this week, Scott, which on paper is a fantastic matchup, what do you think about Michael Kopech and the potential of adding him after this weekend?
2: I have some renewed hope for Kopech. I don't think it's like a... Huge priority to add him. Like for instance, we don't have a lot of faith in Michael Lorenzen, but I do have him as a two-star pitcher uh, as a sleeper this week, making two starts, coming off two really good starts. And so, you know, when I was deciding between do I pick up Michael Lorenzen to stream him for this one week, or do I pick up Michael Kopech as a potential maybe year-long solution? Like, I don't have enough faith in Kopech that I was. Opting for him in most cases. But I do think there is renewed hope for him now after I was pretty much out on him. Like coming into this year, and, and certainly the way he started this year, that that seems like a, a wise choice. But yeah, he's throwing the fastball harder. He's he's relying on it more in a lot of these starts 70% of the time, sometimes. And it's it's he's getting whiffs at a nice rate with it. If he could cut down on the walks, then I think he'd really be onto something. But that that hasn't... You know, apart from this start this weekend where... Uh, how many walks did he end up having?
0: He had zero walks in the start.
2: Yeah, he had zero walks this one. But I, I think last time out, he had six and four and two-thirds innings. So, like, it's been... There've been there's been no consistency along those lines for Kopech. And so it's hard to get... That that's why it's hard to get behind him too forcefully. But there does appear to be upside again, and that's that's encouraging. If if you're not adding him yet, then you should at least be scouting him from start to start.
0: On the Michael Lorenzen versus Kopech, I think it comes down to like how desperate are you right now? If you really need mm-hmm. pitching help this week, then I agree right. with you. I would go with Lorenzen, but I still do think that Kopech has more upside rest of season. If you know maybe this is a catalyst or or something that can really. Know kind of set him off and and get him going for the rest of the year. Uh, A couple other names that have emerged this weekend, Scott. Waiver wire pitchers. We just spoke about Kopech. Reed Detmers had a tied a career high with 12 strikeouts up against the Twins, five and two thirds. Still allowed three earned runs with three walks in that one, 24 swinging strikes on 105 pitches. James Paxson, back to back, very good starts to open his season. Quality start at the Padres, six innings, one run, five strikeouts there. And Jared Schuster. Best start of his young career, up against the Mariners on Sunday. I was really impressed watching highlights of this game. That slider looked tremendous. Six innings, one hit, one run, seven strikeouts to one walk, 14 swinging strikes with eight of those coming on the slider. Scott, how do you rank that group? Uh, Kopech, Detmers, Paxton, and Jared Schuster.
2: I'm going to go Paxton number one. I mean, the the big concern with Paxton right now is just how long does his arm hold up. Because back-to-back starts now where he's averaged ninety-six on his fastball. It's the most he's averaged on his fastball since 2016. And certainly the results have been what we wanted. So he looks he looks like a must at this point. I, I kind of felt like that after his first start, but this second start only validates it. I'll still go Detmer's number two. I mean, he's been getting he's been getting whiffs at a great rate. He's been getting strikeouts at a great rate. He's just I think only once has he gone deep enough for a quality start. So there have been efficiency issues there with Detmers. It's almost like a. It's almost like another Blake Snell situation. Uh, but that I, I mean that that points to a lot of upside that that I, I think there's I think there's less for Detmers to overcome to become a mainstay in fantasy than uh, than maybe there is for for Kopech or. Who is the other one? Schuster. Schuster. Oh, yeah, Schuster. Um, Yeah, so Kopech third and Schuster fourth. I, I too, was encouraged by what I saw from Schuster in this one. He was throwing harder in, in addition to throwing a lot more strikes. And even at his previous start, he looked pretty good. He looked pretty good. It wasn't quite a quality start. He didn't get a strikeout per inning or anything, but watching it, he looked more impressive than the stat line. His fastball uh, seems to have a lot of zip on it that, you know, beyond the velocity, it seems like he can get that rising effect with it sometimes. And like I've I've said, going back to spring training, I like the way he hides the ball in his delivery. So I, I do think there may be something here with Schuster. But even in the minors before this call-up, he was struggling with Walks and his swinging strike rate down there was only eleven percent, which is pretty average and uh you know it's it's gonna take a lot more than this start, I think for me to buy back in on schuster outside of like deeper fifteen roto leagues where I was putting in some low dollar bet uh low dollar bids on him this weekend,
0: yeah, I had some as well. Let me see how much did he go for in my main event league, which is a fifteen team roto league uh he went for $54 out of a thousand so right around five percent I would have gone yeah, I mean it was I, I, I'm i basically limited to like Low teens or single-digit bids at this point because I spent a lot of money on Bryce and Mason Miller uh, But yeah, I, I clearly was not gonna spend that much on him. Uh, but yeah, just to give you an idea of uh, What people are looking at for Jared Schuster in deeper leagues Scott you mentioned the name Blake Snell while um, talking about Reed Detmers and I think it's probably time to bring him up again because uh, he got rocked again this weekend. Four innings pitched, five hits, two walks, six earned runs, two more homers allowed, eight swinging strikes for Blake Snell in this start. He allowed seven hard hits, 91.9 average exit velocity. The numbers are bad. Scott. The numbers are really bad for Blake Snell. 5.40 ERA, a 156 whip. He's over a strikeout per inning, but five walks per nine. The FIP is 5.57, like none of the underlying numbers like him. The swinging strike rate is down this year. Velocity is down like one mile per hour as well. The problem with dropping Blake Snell is that we've seen the past couple of years he goes on these runs where he looks like one of the top 12 or 15 best pitchers in baseball, and you don't want to miss out on that. But right now, there's just no way that you can use him. So with that, would you drop him for any of the names we have mentioned so far? I
2: would drop him for Paxton. I might drop him for Detmers. I think that's it. And I wish I was a little more forceful in discouraging people from drafting Snell during draft prep season because I, I didn't have interest in drafting him. I, I, I was I
0: the opposite. I don't think I ever came close. I will openly admit, yeah, I, I thought this was going to be a great year for Snell, but it clearly has not worked. And
2: we were reverse. We were the reverse last year, yeah. if I recall. But yeah, it's the, the yes, we, what happened with him the last two years? You know, you say he got off to a slow start and then he went on this great run. Well, the slow start lasted basically the entire first half. So we're not even close to the breaking point if, if he follows the pattern of the last two years. So in the first half last year, he had a 522 ERA, a 148 whip. And in 2021, Blake Snell. Uh, in the first half last year, 499 ERA, 155 whip. Like just, and and these were often very short starts, just completely unusable in fantasy. And both times there came a point in 2021, 2022, where I said, that's it, we're done, drop Blake Snell. And then, and then he, you know, pretty much coming out of the all-star break, he, he's bananas. And so, We've seen it happen twice before and and that makes you reluctant. That makes me reluctant to pull the plug on him again from an analyst perspective, but there's no guarantee that's going to happen again. I mean, just because that's how it's happened the last two years doesn't mean that's like programmed in him or something that to happen again. We're just, so, so we may be chasing a false hope here. And, And so like that, how do you work with that? Obviously he has very little trade value, how long can you stash Blake Snell away in the hope that his second half, which is still two months away, <laughs> goes like it did the last two years you know it's 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 really it's a real quandary. It's a real quandary. So I think in shallower leagues, you shouldn't be afraid to drop him in deeper leagues, you might just have to keep him on your bench for a long time.
0: yeah, I know people get annoyed when we say this. I would like to hold Blake Snell and stash him on my bench because I mean, who knows? Maybe he kind of flips that switch earlier than the second half this year. And yeah, it's, that,
2: could, that could be too. Yep. And it's
0: like two thirds of the season where he pitches like an ace. It, it He clearly has that outcome. It's just, we haven't seen it yet. And um, I understand why people are, are frustrated there with Blake Snell. Let's take a little break from the waiver wire. Scott, I want to ask you about uh, some prospect updates. Not only is Gavin Stone starting on Monday for the Dodgers, but, Their other top pitching prospect, Bobby Miller, will start on Tuesday. So Dustin May went on the IL earlier this past week. And then Julio Arias also landed on the IL this weekend with a hamstring injury. Uh, So what are your thoughts here on, uh, on Bobby Miller, Scott? Like, where does he kind of rank? It's hard to say because there's so many rookie pitchers at this point. How about just between the Dodgers prospects? Who would you rather have between Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller?
2: Well, I, I'm not that crazy about having either, to be perfectly honest. Gavin Stone, I, I would say Gavin Stone. I might still say Gavin Stone uh, because, you know, at least what he was doing at AAA Oklahoma was pretty good at times. I, I talk, We talked about him last week when we first learned he was coming back, and I said, wow, in his major league debut, remember he debuted the same day Brandon Thoth did, between the two, Stone had the more discouraging debut to me because that changeup was supposed to be a world beater and he got one whiff on it, throwing it a lot. Like it, just, it just didn't, it, it, it wasn't as advertised and maybe it was, uh, maybe nerves were at play in his major league debut. That, that's certainly possible, but uh, usually you see something there that you can get encouraged by and I didn't see it. Maybe he'll come back looking different Ah, uh, but he was walking a lot of guys at Oklahoma after he returned there. Had seven walks and eleven innings between his two starts. So, you know that's not great. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not especially optimistic about Gavin Stone's chances of uh, of being. If you're holding out for a hero, I'm not sure it's going to be him. And I would say the same for Bobby Miller, who for a couple of years now has not really performed up to the scouting reports. Uh like he got a lot of hype during the and he wasn't as especially high draft pick. I think he was I think he was the Dodgers first round pick, but they were picking 29th. You know, normally the 29th pick in the draft isn't like a surefire prospect. But then that was the pandemic season, so he we went to the the, um, uh, what did they call that? The, the like training camp for the minor leaguers, the alternate training side. That's what they yeah. called it. And uh, impressed the scouts there, rose up the, you know, rocketed up the prospect ranks. And then just kind of maintained that standing, even though he struggled in the upper minors. And this year at AAA Oklahoma, which is in the PCL and PCL is tough to pitch. And I get it, but 565 ERA, Only 12 strikeouts in 14 and a third innings. And is that going to get much better in the majors? Now, I will point out that his last start at AAA Oklahoma, two hits in six innings, had six strikeouts in those six innings. Uh, So he is is ending his time there on a high note. But it was just six swinging strikes on 76 pitches. It was less than 10% whiff rate or swinging strike rate, I should say. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like... It seems like it's a it's a rare case of the Dodgers' hand being forced and them not being able to control the timetable in the most optimal way for their minor league call-ups. Kogo, great. There's talent here, obviously, in both the case of Stone and Miller. But they want to be my top choices off the waiver wire right now.
0: Yeah, I was encouraged by that last start, Scott. As you mentioned, the results were good. Not many whiffs, but... Uh, I know Bobby Miller was coming back from a shoulder injury. So maybe those first three starts, he's, you know, kind of working his way back into things. And, and this last start, maybe he was feeling better or whatever. But uh, something else. Even,
2: I- even last year in the minors, he had a 425 ERA. It was well yeah. more than a strikeout per inning, but it's not like he dominated.
0: Yeah. And I worry with the, the injury to Julio Rios, it's a hamstring you know, maybe it's like two, three weeks and then who gets sent down between the two. I I think it's solely going to come down to who's pitching better. So it is really a a tough situation to figure out right now between Gavin Stone and Bobby Miller. I think if you play in a deeper league and those guys are available, take a shot. I don't think you want them in the lineup because Stone is going up against the Braves and Dodgers. No, he plays for the Dodgers. The Braves and the Rays this week and uh, Bobby Miller has only one start against the Braves. So I would not want to use either one if I did pick them up. Jorge Polanco was placed on the IL uh, with a hamstring injury as well, and Nick Gordon also placed on the IL with a fracture in his right tibia, which means Edward Julian was recalled, and he's 16% rostered. Any interest here, Scott? It feels like um, it might just be for as long as Jorge Polanco is out. Plus, it seems like Royce Lewis is getting closer to returning as well.
2: Yeah, it does seem like Royce Lewis is getting closer, though he... Think, has he been playing third base? Let me double check that. I think the plan is for him to take over a third base, where which they freed up by optioning Jose Miranda to the minors.
0: I will point out but that Kyle Farmer has been playing very well for them.
2: He has, but we know who Kyle Farmer is. You're right; that may be like the Twins would stick with him for a while just because he's hot, but I don't think that's uh, a long-standing thing. So,
0: Royce Lewis he has inter- he's played six games and three at third and three at shortstop. It looks like,
2: yeah. He's obviously not playing shortstop because they have Carlos Correa there. I think outfield's out since that's how he hurt his knee last time. But so, yeah, I think third base is the plan for Royce Lewis. Maybe they do slide Kyle Farmer over to second base. I I mean, I like Edward Julian. He'd been hitting well at Triple A since getting sent down, still reaching base at like a 450 clip, like he always does. I know he was out of the lineup against a lefty Saturday. And then ended up pitch hitting once the, the, the opposing team went to the bullpen. The lefty starter was out. So, like, it seems like whenever a righty's on the mound, Julian is clearly the priority for the twins. But yeah, they may run into a playing time crunch there again. I did win him. I did put in the highest bid in both of my, uh, well, in the 215 team roto leagues where he was available. And obviously, that's a deeper league scenario. I'm not saying everybody needs to rush out and nah, Julian, but I still like him, and I, I do think there's a chance if he gets hot, they find a way to keep him around. They could give him time to de- some time at DH, de- some time at first base maybe. Like I said, I think Kyle Form- Farmer's eventually going to cool off in his best role as a, us- a utility infielder. So I do like the Julian's back, at least in deeper leagues. I try to put in a bid for him, and I'm just seeing now. I'm just seeing now that in, in the other one of those 15 team roto leagues, one where Julian wasn't available, I put in a $68 bid for Matt McLean and won him. Ah, 68, the number two bid, 67. Ooh. Boom. Oh. Boom. That is one of the... How do you bo- like that? See, you know what I was thinking? is because I usually <laughs> end my bids with the seven, too, in these $1,000 budget leagues. Right. Seven, because it's like, okay, you don't want to do an even five or an even zero. But if you go one up from that, everybody's going to go up. You got to go two up. And this time I was thinking, you know, everybody knows to go two up now. So I'm going three up. I'm going <laughs> 68, baby. And it worked.
0: Uh, yes. that that is a great feeling. I would say that and... Throughout the draft if you're debating taking a player in one round and they fall all the way back to you in the next round That is also one of the best feelings in fantasy So good work there. I was gonna bring out Matt McLean and talk about how much he went for in my other leagues He went for $32 in Tout Wars, that's a 12-team head-to-head points league. That's 32 out of 1,000, so about a $3, uh, 3% dollars three bid. In my NFBC Main Event League, 15-team Roto, 193. Pretty aggressive there. And uh, in TGFBI, that's another 15-team Roto League, $88. So based on that, it seems like you got a pretty good discount on yeah. Matt McLean, Scott. So. Good job. Uh, One other prospect note here, Orioles outfield prospect Colton Kowser, was placed on the minor league IL with a quad injury. So unfortunately, we won't be seeing him anytime soon. Let's take a break. And when we return, we'll get back into the waiver wire here on Fantasy Baseball Today.
1: Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
0: Welcome back and let's get into the waiver wire and back into starting pitcher. A few low ceiling type options in Miles Michaelis who put up who's put up back-to-back quality starts. He was up against the Dodgers this weekend, 7 innings, 3 runs, 2 strikeouts. Quietly over his last 7 starts. Michaelis has a 2.90 ERA and a 1.21 WHIP but comes with very low strikeouts, and the underlying metrics don't really believe in it. Kyle Gibson turned in one of his best, better starts of the season at the Blue Jays, seven innings, one run, five strikeouts there. Cal Quantrill with a near-quality start at the Mets, five and two-thirds, three runs, six strikeouts, zero walks, and over his last four starts has a 2.77 ERA, and Michael Waka is dominating right now. Strong start up against the Red Sox, six shutout with four strikeouts to one walk, he is down to a 3.58 ERA and a 1.15 WHIP on the season. 72% roster. Scott, how do you rank this group? Again, lower ceiling type options: Michaelis, Gibson, Quantrill, and Waka.
2: So I think these are better thought of as streaming options, probably permanently. I know Miles Michaelis was basically a must-start pitcher last year, uh, but as you point out, he's He's reverted to kind of where he was before last year where he can give you quality starts sometimes but with unappetizing underlying stats for the most part. So I'm I'm not especially uh, moved by what he's done here recently. I would say if you're going to make a play for one of these guys as potentially being something more than a streaming option, at this point I'm willing to say Waka because, I mean, not only has he been on just... A great run here, in general, uh, but he started to get he started to get whiffs at a nice rate. He had in this start, he had 15 of them, I believe, 14, 14 on 88 pitches, still a good rate. He had 10 on the changeup alone, and that's two starts in a row where he's had 10 on the changeup alone. And this is a pitch that historically we've seen Waka dominate with before remember, you may remember, or you may not, that earlier in Waka's career, the first three years of his career, he was considered like a stud in fantasy. Uh, when he was with the Cardinals first breaking in with the Cardinals, he was like must start level pitcher. It's been a while since we've seen Waka at that level, of course, because this goes back to like 2015. but like that's that's how good his changeup was for him back then. Starting to get whips with, with it again. Combined one earned run in his last four starts now. Again, remember how I framed this at the beginning. It's it's most likely just a hot streak for a guy that we're going to consider a streaming option for most of the season. But there is also the fact Waka last year in 23 starts had a three thirty two ERA. So, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe Waka's reborn. Maybe he's pitching. Maybe he's... he's capable of getting results similar to what he got at the start of his career. I'll bet against it, but I think there's more hope for him than somebody like Michaelis, for instance.
0: Would you take Waka over any of the Kopek, Detmers, Paxton, Schuster group?
2: Close call between him and Schuster, I'd say. I'd probably take Waka over Schuster.
0: Okay. This next group, somewhat interesting options. Braxton Garrett has six plus strikeouts in three straight since being destroyed by the Braves on May 3rd. He went six and a third shutout, one hit, one walk, eight strikeouts up against the Giants this weekend. JP Sears has allowed two earned runs or fewer in three of his last four starts. He was at the Astros, six innings, two runs, seven strikeouts there. He has a three, five, seven ERA over his last four starts. Brandon Bielak put up a career-high nine strikeouts up against the Oakland A's, including 17 swinging strikes. And Ben Lively, who pitches for the Reds, had a successful first start with them. He was up against the Yankees, and he went five and two-thirds, two runs, eight strikeouts. Um, his slider has been really good so far. He hasn't allowed a hit, and it has a 53% whiff rate. This Scott, obviously this ranges from, I mean, it's mostly deep league names, but uh, any thoughts here, any interest in Braxton Garrett, J.P. Sears, Brandon Belak, and Ben Lively? I'm
2: intrigued by Sears. For the season, he has about a 13% whiff rate, or sorry, swinging strike rate. Whiff rate would have a different denominator. They both have the same numerator, but they have different denominators, swinging strike rate and whiff rate. 13% swinging strike rate which is really good. And um, he's a guy who gets whiffs with his fastball. It's not, it's not like a high-octane fastball. It's not what you'd picture as when you, when you think of a dominant fastball. But uh, JP Sears on that fastball has a 25% whiff rate. So I'm kind of <laughs> mixing up stats here in a way that's probably confusing, but the point is it's a good whiff rate for the fastball. Um, he pitches for Oakland. He doesn't have a win yet. So that's a big hurdle to clear. But if you're not as concerned about that, then uh, he's of some interest. I think, I think there's a chance Braxton Garrett is good too. I, I liked Braxton Garrett last year once he became solidified in the Marlins rotation. It was, it was closer to the All-Star break when that happened. Uh, but his slider is legitimately a good pitch. And when he's leaning on it more, good things tend to happen. And interestingly, this two-start stretch where he's had success, he's he's been leaning on the cutter more. It, he threw it about twenty-five percent in this one. You know, normally it's a pitch he doesn't feature. So I don't—he doesn't feature much at all. So I, I don't know if that just like pairs with his breaking ball better and has helped bringing out the best in it. That slider, but he's he's had success with that change, and maybe he can get back to how he was doing toward the middle of last year when he became a fantasy asset.
0: Yeah, over Braxton Garrett's last three starts, he has a 2.70 ERA and a .84 whip, 22 strikeouts to three walks, and a 14.6% swinging strike rate. If you're just looking for one of these names to use in a deeper league this week, uh, Braxton Garrett is at the Rockies, so I think you probably want to stay away. JP Sears is at the Mariners. They're 27th in Woba against lefties. So I think that's actually a pretty good matchup for him. And this last group here, Scott, uh, pretty uninspiring, but alas, let's talk about them. Johan Oviedo turned in his first quality start since April 19th. Six innings, one run, seven strikeouts in that one. Adrian Hauser, six shutout with four strikeouts at, at Tampa Bay. It's pretty impressive doing it against Tampa Bay, but... You know, it's also Adrian Hauser. Patrick Corbin continues to limit the damage somehow uh, up against the Tigers this weekend. Six innings, two runs, three strikeouts. uh, And over his last seven starts, he's a 3.40 ERA and a 1.13 whip. And Dean Kramer, another solid start for him at the Blue Jays. Five and a third, one run, seven strikeouts with 15 swinging strikes. And uh, a 1.96 ERA in the month of May for Dean Kramer. Scott, again, we're talking probably fifteen teamers and deeper, uh, but anything on Oviedo, Hauser, Corbin, and Dean Kramer.
2: I'd keep an eye on Kramer and Oviedo. I think they've shown enough flashes in the past, including Oviedo just this year, that I could see them emerging as more. But right now, I would leave them for deeper leagues.
0: Okay, some waiver wire hitters. We spoke extensively about Jorge Soler on Friday. One of is is he the top sleeper hitter for you, Scott, or, or top two?
2: Soler this week is number
0: one. Number one, okay. He had a huge yep. game on Sunday, four for five with his twelfth home run. It did come off of another lefty. He's now batting two forty seven with an eight forty two OPS on the season, seventy one percent rostered with seven road games this week, four in Coors Field. So, regardless of what size format you play in, if you need an outfielder, Jorge Soler is that guy this week. Two other names, Scott. I would say more so for five outfielder leagues, Brian De La Cruz. We spoke about about him as well on Friday. But he hit hit a home run on Friday. He stole a base on Saturday. He's got those great matchups coming up. And Marcel Ozuna has really turned his season around in the month of May. He's batting three thirty three with six homers and a 10.95 OPS. Who would you rather have, Brian De La Cruz or Marcel Ozuna?
2: Well, it's a little hard to trust Ozuna after the way the previous two years went. Yeah. So I'm going to say Brian De La Cruz. Obviously, Brian De La Cruz is somebody I liked. Uh, coming into the year, he kind of lost steam as a sleeper because for much of spring training, the Marlins were talking about him, him not even making the roster potentially. But just on, in terms of the metrics, in terms of how he finished 2022, I had a, there, there was a lot to like a bright bout about Brian De La Cruz. He's playing a lot. He seems like he's beginning to live up to it. So he's the choice for now. But Ozuna at his best. It's been a few years since we've seen him at his best, but Ozuna at his best is a genuine, has been a genuine stud. And that was true early in his career with the Marlins. He had times with the Cardinals when he looked like that. And in 2020, his first year with the Braves, short though that season was, he was the number one outfielder in fantasy. Yeah. So, like, if you have a spot to play with, I I think, picking up Ozuna with the, this, the, the the way he's been picking it up at the plate. Um, the, the same way you would pick up a prospect, the same way you'd pick up like a Brett Beatty and keep him stashed away just in case he makes good on his potential. I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I haven't seen fit to do it in any of my leagues, but I, I don't think it's a bad idea because just like we've seen Ozuna be a stud in the past, like we've seen him collapse in the past and come out of it and regain stud status. So this is he's he's had kind of an up and down career and and he may be back on the upswing. I think it's I don't think you have to squint too hard to uh, envision that possibility.
0: Speaking of up and down career, Scott, Paul DeYoung, who we mentioned earlier, two for 3 with a walk added and his seventh home run of the season on Sunday. He added four RBI and four runs scored, truly a massive game. He's now batting 2.82 with a 9.54 OPS, he's 12% rostered. I know you like the Cardinals matchups this week as well. It looks like, I mean, the quality of contact looks pretty good right now for DeYoung. 11 uh, and a percent barrel rate, a career high 46% hard hit rate as well. Are you buying this? Are you looking to add Paul DeYoung in any leagues?
2: Are you painting it a rosier picture than I would paint. Looking at those same numbers, I, I actually had Paul DeYoung. In the 2014, in the Skyway Dynasty League, the 2014 points. I, I saw picked him up for this I s- week.
0: I saw he was a free agent. I was like, why, why'd you drop him?
2: Because I don't believe in it. Yeah, all right. Ultimately, I, I mean, yeah, he had a good game Sunday and he had a nice point total for me this week. He entered Sunday's game betting 129 in his previous nine games. The reason he managed to be productive is because three of the four hits he got in those nine games were home runs. So does that help mask the the 129 batting average he was putting up during that stretch? And yeah, average exit velocity entering Sunday's game, 88 miles per hour, that's pretty much in line with what he normally does. Max exit velocity, uh, you know, it's, it's lower than what it was in either of the previous two years. You mentioned the hard hit rate is a career high. The barrel rate is a career high okay, those probably go hand in hand, but as I've said with other players at times this year, a, a an abnormally high barrel rate is probably just an indication that the guy's hot. And so you shouldn't necessarily... Like, I, I see that more as a symptom than a cause. And, um, you know, the, the strikeout rate's better this year than it was last year, but it's still over 25% and it's still like what it was, for, it, what it's been for most of Paul DeYoung's career. I just, I I don't, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm not convinced that he's actually turned over a new leaf. I mean, this is a 29 year old who has faked us out several times in the past and was close to being DFA'd by the Cardinals at times in the past year. And, they certainly have alternatives if he begins to slump. So I, I don't think he's a high priority target off the waiver wire. Could do worse is a hot hand play, but I want to treat Paul DeYoung as more than that.
0: I mostly agree with you. I was just playing devil's advocate. I think in deeper leagues, if you're looking for a middle infielder or some pop, that Cardinals lineup is getting hot again. So maybe the counting stats could be there. They certainly were on Sunday. Again, the name there, Paul DeYoung. Manny Machado. Scott finally placed on the IL on Friday with a fracture in his left hand spoke about that last week, how it seemed like that was likely to happen. It's possible he returns when first eligible on May 27th. I'm a little bit skeptical. Uh, but how do we replace him? Looking at the waiver wire in shallower leagues, third-base eligible players. Ezekiel Duran stays hot this weekend with five hits, a home run, and a steal. He has still started every game since Corey Seager has been back. 64% rostered. He's got that third-base, outfield, and shortstop eligibility. Jake Berger in seven games since returning from the IL. Betting 423 with three homers, and we know he has some big exit velocity numbers this year. Uh, I just kind of worry about what happens when Eloy Jimenez returns. Does Jake Berger still play every day? I hope so. I, I just don't know if that's going to be the case. It's a few weeks from happening, right? They said there's a chance this, this upcoming weekend, so... Uh, Mm -hmm. With Eloy Jimenez and then J.D. Davis had a big game on Sunday and the overall numbers still look very good for J.D. Davis. He went two for three with his eighth home run. How would you rank that group, Scott? If you're replacing Machado, you need a third baseman, Duran, Berger and Davis.
2: Well, for this week, I'd go Berger, at least. He was one of my sleeper hitters for this week. The White Sox have good matchups. He's of like if, if we're talking rest of season type of replacement. And, and obviously we're not expecting Machado to be out that long. But just in terms of, you know, if you're not thinking short term, Burger would probably be the last of the three. They're very close though, in either context. Uh, I I guess I'll go... Well, let me see what the matchups are for this week. Okay, so if you're going this week, Berger won, uh, I would say... Deron two and Davis three. If you're thinking long-term, I'll go Deron Davis Berger. but it's very close either way. I mean, if you have a strong favorite there, you could, you could talk me into it.
0: Okay. And then in deeper leagues, I mentioned the name on Friday, but Jamer Candelario, he's hot right now. His last seven games, he's batting 521 with two homers. He's 18% rostered and Kyle farmer in the month of May, since returning from the IL, eleven games, he's hitting 381 with two homers and a nine eighty-three OPS. So let's say uh, deeper leagues here, Scott. Kyle Farmer or Candelario?
2: I will say C- Candelario for this week. The twins have the very worst hitter matchups, and I the Nationals have good hitter matchups. Now it's not, you know, we don't need to engage in single factor analysis here, but neither of these players are especially high end. They're both hot. And Candelario has much better matchup, so let's go with him.
0: All right, let's take our final break. And when we return, we'll get into the rest of the news and notes. I've got some leftovers. We'll do all that right after this.
3: Selling a little or a lot. <laughs> Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launcher Online Shop stage Podcast, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast. <coughs> Selling a little <coughs> or a lot? <coughs> Shopify helps you do your thing. However, you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash
0: Welcome back and let's get into the news and notes from the weekend. Jacob deGrom will throw a third bullpen session on Monday and he could possibly throw to live hitters by the end of the week. Still remains without a timetable for now. Logan Webb left Saturday's start with lower back tightness. He told reporters he doesn't expect to miss a start, but eh, I guess it's somewhat up in the air right now, Scott. Do you start Logan Webb at the Brewers this week?
2: I would depend what my alternatives were. If if I could afford to play it safe, I would, but Webb's been on a great run. So if if you'd have to put somebody risky in instead, then I think I'd just stick with him. Worst case scenario, you get nothing. But... (laughs) There are a lot worse outcomes than nothing, especially <laughs> as, this year.
0: As we have seen. Carlos Rodon threw from 120 feet and then went back to New York Saturday to continue his rehab. The hope is that Rodon is nearing mound work. Like DeGrom remains without a timetable. Jose Altuve made his return on Friday. He picked up two hits, a run, and an RBI in three games. Byron Buxton was removed Saturday with tightness in his calf and was out of the lineup on Sunday. Same question there, Scott. Do you uh, play it safe, maybe, in Leave Buxton on the bench for this week.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's an easier call. Again, it always comes down to who you could start instead, but probably sit Buxton.
0: All right, Tyler Glass now made his fourth rehab start at AAA on Sunday. Actually did not see the results of that start, but assuming that his body responds well, he could return next weekend against the Dodgers. Let's play it safe don't throw uh, Glassnow back into your lineups yet, but it nope. would be good news to uh, obviously get him back. White Sox manager Pedro Grifol said on Friday that there is no set date for Liam Hendricks to return. And I'm not really sure where they're at with that because Hendricks struggled in the minors and then he threw a live bullpen session on Thursday. And then this news came out. So for the, ha- the time being, it looks like Kendall Graveman will be the uh, White Sox de facto closer.
2: I got an update for you on Glassnow's line from today. You ready? What do you got? Six innings, mm. two hits, Ooh. one run, Ooh. two walks, six strikeouts. And to get through those six innings, he only needed 67 pitches. 48 of them were first strikes.
0: Uh, I was about to <laughs> say something I shouldn't. But yes, that is uh, very encouraging for Tyler Glass now. love to see it. Matthew Liberatore pitched out of the bullpen on Sunday. Scott what are the Cardinals doing? (laughs) Welcome to the latest episode of what are the Cardinals doing? Uh,
2: Well, I, I read this was a possibility going to the weekend. He would be available if needed out of the bullpen. Uh, but the plan was still for him to make a start if he wasn't needed. So I don't know, I guess now we don't know when he's going to start. They do have five healthy starters, so they don't need him to start this time through, but they're, they're trying to figure out a way to have their cake and eat it too with him. And, um, once again, it backfired, considering he gave up two earned runs in his inning of work or whatever it was.
0: Who's to say what he would do in his next start? But I just find the way the Rays with Taj Bradley and the Cardinals with Liberator, the way that they've handled these young pitching prospects. You know, Taj Bradley was pitching well. They send him down. Liberatore, great first start. They use him out of the bullpen. It's like you have... Starters that are actively hurting your team right now. And instead of using Liberator, you're using those players. So it's just very confusing usage, in, in my opinion. Justin Turner left Friday's game with left knee, knee soreness and then missed both Saturday and Sunday. AJ Puck has upped his throwing distance to 90 feet. It's positive news, but he remains without a timetable. Uh, Brett Beatty could shift to left field on occasion as the Mets try to find ways to get Mark Vientos into the lineup. Uh, Vientos has started just two of four games since getting called up. Astros GM Dana Brown said Lance McCullers' return is probably somewhere closer to the All-Star break or after. So this is weird, Scott, because it seemed like things were trending up for McCullers, and then out of nowhere, it just kind of hit a wall and maybe even went backwards. So
2: Apparently, there's a report Liberator might pitch Wednesday still. Hmm. That was um, the only thing I'm seeing on Twitter is that was... Somebody reported that before the game even started this. If he came out of the bullpen today, he'd still likely pitch Wednesday at Cincinnati. So that might be. Um, so he still might get a turn. I don't know. I don't know that I'd want to use him, but. They might get to have their cake and eat it, too.
0: Yeah, I, look, Libert's are only through one inning on Sunday. So I I guess theoretically he still could start. But... Yeah, like his
2: regular throw day or whatever.
0: All right. So who did you actually ask me about? I was looking that uh, up. Lance McCullers.
2: Oh yeah, not he might not be back till after the All Star break. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. Forget that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had I'd been stashing him in the TGFBI, which is one of those fifteen team leagues where uh, you don't have IL spots no more. I dropped him. If yeah. you yeah, have an IL spot, he should be a good pitcher when he returns. But that's that may be two months away still.
0: Yeah, same. I actually was stashing him in that same exact league, and I. Dropped him for Brandon Williamson. Let's see how that works out. Wade Miley is likely to be scheduled, uh, likely to be sidelined six to eight weeks with a strained ribcage. Seth Brown will rejoin the A's on Monday and is 22% rostered. For those in deeper category leagues, there is some power and speed there with Seth Brown. Derek Hall is getting close to a rehab assignment for the Phillies. He's not eligible to return from the 60-day IL until early June. Aaron Hicks was designated for assignment by the Yankees. Greg Allen was recalled. Eric Hosmer was designated for assignment by the Cubs, which makes you feel a touch better about Matt Mervis' job security throughout his struggles. Uh, Hunter Gaddis is expected to start Monday for the Guardians. Some suspected it could have been prospect Gavin Williams, but Aaron Savali is close to returning, so I don't think it makes much sense to uh, rush Gavin Williams to the majors yet. Joey Votto took live batting practice with AAA this weekend and could begin a rehab assignment soon. He's eligible to return May 30th. Doesn't mean that will happen, but... Scott, this does throw a bit of a wrench in things for uh, the Christian Encarnacion Strand promotion if somehow Joey Votto makes it back to the team.
2: Yeah, it does. I'm starting to lose a little bit of faith there that that's going to happen soon. Of course, you never really know. (laughs) I can speak to that. Um, we, we, we try to read into the signs, like for instance, another discouraging sign here is that he's played mostly third base at AAA lately, a lot less first base than he was playing originally. So it doesn't seem like they're preparing him to take over a first base in the near term, but who knows?
0: Again, that is Christian encarnacion Strand. Ken Giles signed a minor league deal with the Dodgers. And players who went to the IL this weekend, Cody Bellinger with a left knee contusion that's retroactive to May 16th. Mike Clevenger with right wrist inflammation, also retroactive to May 18th. Lamont Wade with right wrist inflammation. Uh, Brad Keller with a right shoulder impingement. Peyton Battenfield with right shoulder inflammation. Zach Jackson with a flexor strain. And uh, Ross Stripling with a lower back strain. Joey Bart with a left knee groin Scott Luis Severino made his debut on Sunday and he looked pretty good at the Reds four and two thirds one run allowed five strikeouts with 12 swinging strikes on 75 pitches velocity looked good he uh, didn't throw the cutter in this start it was a pitch that he used sparingly last year didn't allow any hard contact do you start him at home this week against the San Diego Padres
2: I wouldn't mind it I was pretty encouraged by this start he got – oh, I didn't write down the number here. Let me see if I can find it real quick. His, so his change of velocity was down notably from last year, nearly two miles per hour. But that's – it was down to the same velocity it was in 2017, which was his best season. And, you know, having lower velocity on your change-up isn't necessarily a bad thing. It can be a good thing. Uh, and and not- notably, his fastball got eight of his twelve whiffs on this one. If he was, if that lower velocity on the changeup helped the fastball to play up, you know, it could be a really good thing. It could be by design. And and as I said, the only time he's had his similar changeup velocity, the only year where he's had similar changeup velocity was 2017, which was his best year on record. So. Even apart from that, it was encouraging for Severino, but maybe that's another reason to be encouraged.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, he, so he threw 75 pitches in this one. I would imagine his next start, maybe he's in the 80 to 90 range. So, yeah. you know, five, six yep. innings, something like that. The Padres have struggled against right-handed pitching this year, so I'm not really worried about the matchup.
2: Right. No, it's... it's I, I think the Padres' offense is going to get better, but it's been bad so far. So mm-hmm. it's, you could view it as a favorable matchup even.
0: Starter sit these pitches, pitchers. Uh, Bryce Miller turned in a quality start at the Braves this weekend. Six and a third, three runs, four strikeouts. Did allow nine hard hits and uh, used his fastball 78% of the time. It's, it's, it's kind of getting a little confusing to analyze. Bryce Miller, I guess that's the word that I would use. Uh, he's going up against Oakland this week, so I think we're still starting him. But yeah, mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of an odd one so far.
2: Yeah, I think you could make a strong sell-high case for Bryce Miller. He just, he hasn't, he hasn't been much of a bat-misser since his very first start. And, you know, George Kirby was able to keep going, keep it going as a rookie last year. Low swinging strike rate, mostly just fastballs. Maybe Bryce Miller can do the same. But if you can get a good return for him, I think it's worth exploring.
0: Okay. Uh, Alec Manoa actually turned in a solid start up against the Orioles this weekend. Five and two-thirds, two runs allowed, five strikeouts. Did allow eight hard hits in this one. Only one walk obviously helps a bunch. I assume that we are benching him at Tampa Bay this week.
2: Manoa against Tampa Bay. No, I'd, I'd uh, encouraging results this time. Step in the right direction there, issuing only one walk and five and two-thirds innings. But uh, with that matchup, it's, it's not enough for me to feel comfortable using him again.
0: I think you could say the same thing about Grayson Rodriguez. Five innings, two runs, six strikeouts uh, at Toronto this weekend. But... Also allowed nine hard hits and uh, is going up against the Rangers, which has been a great offense, and they just got Corey Seager back. So that's a no for me. That's a, that's a bench, Scott.
2: Right. I agree.
0: Lance Lynn put together two quality starts this past week, so hopefully this is the start of like good Lance Lynn pitching rest of season. The turnaround. Let's go. We, He's at, yes. the, at the Tigers this week. That's a thumbs up, right? Oh, for sure. And your boy, Jack Flaherty. I don't, I don't know if he's actually your boy, but you hyped him up recently. <laughs> four and two thirds, three runs allowed, four more walks in this one. He's at the Guardians, which is a good matchup. But again, we got bad Jack Flaherty. Yeah, I I,
2: I do have him on the sleeper pitchers for next week still because that matchup is so good. But I, I said when we talked about it on Friday's show, a lot of it hinged on how this follow-up start went over the weekend. It, it was It was funny because... You know, I was monitoring the start through four innings. He looked great. It's like, oh, yes, Flaherty, he's back. Look what he's doing against the Dodgers even. And then the fifth inning came. He issued three of his four walks in the fifth inning alone. So kind of makes you wonder how we'd feel about the start if they pulled him after four. Why would they pull him after four? I understand. Only 59.2% of his pitches in this start ended up being for strikes, which is still really bad and a lot closer to his season mark than last start was. So I'm very skittish about uh, Flaherty again, but the matchup is really good.
0: All right, let's wrap up with some leftovers here, Scotty. Studs being studs on the pitcher side of things. Shane O. Here
3: comes the money.
0: Here we go. Money
3: talk. talk. Here comes the money.
0: Shane McClanahan up against the Brewers this weekend. Seven shutout with seven strikeouts for him. Joe Ryan, another strong start at the Angels. Six innings, three runs. Two of those were earned, nine strikeouts to one walk. Mitch Keller now has eight plus strikeouts in five straight up against the Diamondbacks. Six innings, two runs, eight strikeouts to zero walks. And Aaron Nola had his best start of the season up against the Cubs. Seven innings, two runs, 10 strikeouts to just one walk. Anything on this group, Scott. McClanahan, Ryan, Keller, and Nola.
2: I think Nola's needed the most, had 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 the most to prove. I would say, uh, because he he his his year, you know, he's had stretches where he struggled with the ERA before, struggled to keep the ball in the park, but he wasn't missing bats like we're used to seeing Aaron Nola do. Whether you're talking about swinging strike rate, whether whether you're talking about good old strikeout rate, in this start against the Cubs, struck out ten in seven innings, had fifteen swinging strikes on ninety eight pitches, the velocity was up half a mile per hour to a mile per hour on everything, and he looked more like the Aaron Nola we know and love. So I, I hope I hope it gets him back to a standing here. The others, you know, just continue to do what they've been doing. Mitch Keller. The strikeout rate has been great, even though the swinging strike rate has been very pedestrian. But it's been a career high swinging strikeout rate, so you know there are different ways you could look at that for Keller. I think ultimately there's just a lot more reason to be invested in him to be encouraged by this than by what he's been doing. than not.
0: All right, studs being studs, part two. Kevin Gosman turns in another great start up against the Orioles. Eight innings, two runs, four strikeouts. Max Scherzer had a strong start on Sunday against the Guardians, six shutout with five strikeouts. Framber Valdez hurled a four-hit shutout against the Oakland A's, seven strikeouts to zero walks, the second shutout of his career, and Shohei Ohtani bounced back up against the Twins, six innings, one run, nine strikeouts to three walks. Anything on this group's got Ohtani, Valdez, Scherzer and Gosman.
2: I, I will just point out that I've noticed Gosman's velocity has been up substantially for a few starts in a row now. This, let's see, was four starts in a row. In, in this start, it was up between 1.2, 1.7 miles per hour on everything. In previous starts, has been up more than that. Of course, the thing is, when your velocity is up by a certain mile per hour, it, it, it brings up the season average. So it may just be that he's been throwing... You know, his his velocity jumped by a couple miles per hour four starts ago, and it stayed up that high. So I don't know what to make of that. I mean, obviously, he's pitching well, so it can't be a bad thing.
0: Yeah. Uh, there was a pitching duel on Sunday Night Baseball between Justin Verlander and Shane Bieber. Bieber went eight innings, two runs, four strikeouts, and Verlander on the other side, eight innings, one run, with five strikeouts to zero walks. Uh, obviously, a very welcome sight for both, Scott. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I, I have more optimism for Verlander continuing to perform like an ace than Bieber. We've we've talked about our concerns for Bieber and that hasn't changed. I mean, he only had four strikeouts and in eight innings in this one. His whiff rate on the slider was 28%, his whiff rate on the curveball 17% in this start. Both of them were closer to 40 last year, which helped him survive with the reduced fastball velocity. So I don't know how this is going to end for Bieber, but I'm still waiting for the other shoe to drop
0: yeah we we saw that in his previous outing too when he got rocked as well that was the Uh, first shoe yes
2: when will the other shoe drop
0: it's a fair question not quite studs but they're pitching like it let's take a look at this group George Kirby uh, another quality start at the Braves seven innings three runs Six strikeouts, and his velocity was up across the board. The fastball was up 1.7 miles per hour in this start. Justin Steele, another great one. Six shutout with six strikeouts at the Phillies. And Hunter Brown had a strong start up against the Oakland A's. Six innings, two runs, nine strikeouts to zero walks. Anything you'd like to add on that group? Scott Kirby, Steele, Brown.
2: Well, it was nice to see Steele bounce back from what was only his... his, Second, or I'm sorry, what well, was only his first bad start of the year? He bounced back from it. That was good to see. Hunter Brown. Now um, he entered last start with an 11.2 percent swinging strike rate. It was pretty pedestrian. 19 swinging strikes in that start, and he pointed out 15 swinging strikes in this start. So that number appears to be on the rise for him, and that's a good trend. We'll see if it continues for Hunter Brown.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, This next group, Logan Gilbert, had a great start at the Braves. Six innings, two runs, nine strikeouts. He did allow some hard contact, but changed up the pitch mix a little bit. He severely lowered his four-seam fastball usage, and uh, he more than doubled his splitter usage. It was a great pitch. Eight whiffs, 36% CSW. Chris Sale stays hot, Scott. Revenge Week continues. Uh, Last six starts for Sale, 305 ERA, a .89 whip, 10.1K per nine. And Pablo Lopez... Bounce back at the Angels. Six innings, two runs, nine strikeouts. Anything on Lopez, Sale, Gilbert?
2: Gotta say, a lot of those Roto teams of mine that were struggling, they're starting to climb. They're starting to climb in the standings, and I think Chris Sale's performance is a big reason why. Really happy with the way things are going for him.
0: All right, what is wrong with this last group here, Scott? Sandy Alcantara has just one quality start in his last five outings. He's at the Giants this weekend. You know, not one of the better offenses in baseball. Five and two-thirds, four runs allowed, five strikeouts to three walks. Still had 17 swinging strikes. And Joe Musgrove, another subpar outing up against the Red Sox. Five innings, four runs, six strikeouts to one walk. He is at the Yankees this week. Uh, do you Do you start Musgrove in that spot at the Yankees?
2: I, I don't think I would if I could help it. I I don't know that anything's that wrong with either of these two. I, I mean, Alcantara has a m- much higher, we have much higher expectations for him. He's a, a much higher talent level. There are a few pitchers you can compete with Alcantara's talent level. Uh, so you know, I, I don't see anything that wrong. Obviously the results aren't where they we want them to be, but I think if you just stay patient with him, he'll come out of it. And you'll be happy with the final outcome. And I think that's true for Musgrove, too. I mean, Musgrove, obviously, we're still talking about a really small sample for him. It is, I think, part of the reason we saw pitchers struggle so badly early. I mean, obviously, there were some environmental changes at work there. but And, and maybe they were just having to adapt to that. And Musgrove is still in the early stages of it because of all the injury time he missed. So I'd be patient with him. But if you can afford to sit him for now, it's not a bad idea.
0: A few bullpen updates here, Scott. On Friday, Jason Adam pitched in the eighth inning with a one-run lead. Pete Fairbanks got the ninth, picked up his fourth save. And then on Saturday, I assume they don't want to use Fairbanks on back-to-back days yet. Uh, Jason Adam entered the ninth with two runners on. With a four-run lead, he picked up his sixth save of the season. Do you have a lean here on which way this goes, or do you think they just kind of chop it up, maybe split the saves with Adam and Fairbanks?
2: No, I think Fairbanks is the one to have that the Adam save... Saturday was pretty unconventional but I do worry that he's going to interfere with Fairbanks more than before Fairbanks injury
0: Okay, uh, for the Guardians on Friday This is kind of a sneaky storyline right now Scott Emmanuel class a entered in the 10th inning with a two-run lead He gave up three runs on four hits took his fifth blown save and fourth boss of the season He's got a 352 era a 1.3 whip and His k per nine and swinging strike rate are way down from last year. I know relievers, it's smaller sample sizes that we're dealing with, but any concern here for Emmanuel Class A who was likely drafted as the top closer in fantasy? A
2: little bit. A little bit. I mean, every closer is just a bad week away from losing his job, right? His average fastball velocity, which is actually a cutter in his case, is also down more than a mile per hour from a year ago, which might have something to do. With those numbers, I mean slider, the same thing. That's his better swing and miss pitch. So he does seem a little bit off here in the early going. It's you know still relatively early, uh, and and he's a pitcher who can do well on contact, but there's a little bit of concern, sure.
0: For the Nationals on Saturday, Hunter Harvey pitched in the eighth inning with a two run lead. Kyle Finnegan pitched in the ninth with a three run lead and picked up his ninth save. And then on Sunday, Kyle Finnegan came in in the sixth inning of that game. He recorded five outs. Uh, Hunter Harvey later would pitch in the ninth and pick up his second save. Obviously, the Nationals are not a great team, but you know, in deeper leagues, I have some Kyle Finnegan, and I'm starting to think you know, maybe they'll just use him in some higher-leverage spots, and he'll lose out on some saves, and Hunter Harvey will gain some.
2: Well, that's what they said coming into the year, and that may be what's happening here. It's also worth pointing out that Kyle Finnegan... Has an ERA. I was going to say that he stinks. <laughs> he has an ERA over five. <laughs> Meanwhile, Hunter Harvey, whose dad, former All-Star closer Brian Harvey, by the way, so he's got he's got closing in his genes. Hunter Harvey this year has a three ERA, .95 WHIP, and twenty four strikeouts in twenty one innings. So things may be starting to shift his way. A little too early to say. I think Finnegan's still the the Nationals reliever to have, but they've, they've been trying out Harvey a little more at the end of games.
0: For the Diamondbacks on Saturday, Andrew Chafin entered in the eighth inning with a two run lead to face the uh, heart of the Pirates lineup. He did give up a run. Miguel Castro got the ninth and struck out three for his fourth save of the season. And uh, I asked the Welsh about this last week and he said, yeah, it's kind of like a, you know, closer by committee type approach. And, Chafin, they'll use him in bigger spots earlier. And I think as a result, Miguel Castro is going to earn some saves if you're looking for those in deeper leagues. For the Yankees, Scott, we keep trying to figure out what's happening here. On Saturday, Michael King pitched the 7th and the 8th inning with the game tied. Clay Holmes then pitched in the ninth, And Ryan Weber pitched the 10th once they took the lead, picked up his first save of the season. And then on Sunday, Wandy Peralta pitched in the 8th inning with a three-run lead. Clay Holmes got the ninth inning. Allowed two hits and a walk, but did escape with his fifth save of the season and his first since April 12th. <laughs> I, I I think it's very up in the air right now. I, I think it's some kind of combo of King, Clay Holmes, Wandy Peralta. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Uh, all right, and then let's wrap up with to stream or not to stream, Scott. On Monday, the names that uh, look most attractive, Dane Dunning at the Pirates. And Michael Lorenzen at KC? Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have them both as sleeper pitchers this week, in part because they're two start options, and obviously this is a different exercise here. But, yeah, I like their matchups, and they're good enough to take advantage of them.
0: On Tuesday, the names I was looking at most, Logan Allen against the White Sox. Yeah, that's fine. Brian Bayo at the Angels. I don't love the matchup, but I like the way Bayo has been pitching recently. ESPN has Libertor at the Reds. I don't know if he's actually going to start on Tuesday, though.
2: Uh, it sounds like Wednesday is more likely. Uh, yeah, I'm, if, you wanna go, if you need to go real deep, Ryan Weathers at Washington, you could think about him
0: marco gonzalez against the a's
2: Eh. Mm, not with the way he's been pitching lately
0: (laughs) yeah i don't think so all right well we're gonna wrap there for scott i am frank thanks as always for tuning in to fantasy baseball today please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on apple or spotify we'll be back again tomorrow bye-bye
1: should you ever set foot outside of the motel you will be shot